Welcome to the For Fox Sake podcast, by the fans, for the fans. With all the news, views and discussion from two lifelong Leicester City supporters. It's your show, so get in contact, make yourselves heard, what's your opinion? The only Leicester City podcast that's by the fans, for the fans. This is For Fox Sake. Hello and welcome to For Fox Sake. My name is Pete Selby and alongside me over the airwaves, it's Rob Hayes. El- Rob, how are we? Are you well? Are you surviving the storm, which sounds like is uh, is raging outside? So if anyone can hear any background wind or noise or rain, then it's uh, storm whatever it's called. It's Storm Brendan, and Storm Brendan, Brendan is very much taken over Leicester City, hasn't it? It's very topical. I think um, a, a Brendan Rogers parody Twitter account has uh, alluded to the fact that it's called Storm Brendan. Yeah, I'm I'm well, thank you. We've got um, plenty to cover, haven't we? Although it's not been a huge gap since our last podcast. We have had um, all the fun of the Cups. Yes, we have. We've had Cup action. We've had action in the Premier League. And also, because of the... The downturn in form because of the defeats, essentially. Guess what? Leicester have lost a game in the Premier League, and we need to kind of measurely work out what is the correct reaction. Are we going to go completely insane and tell everyone or that everyone's rubbish and we need to replace the entire team, or do we go to the other extreme and go, "Don't worry, everything's fine." It's it's a kind of a fine line, and I'm I'm kind of six of one, half a dozen of another, and um, and it's intriguing results, and for many reasons because of the game, and we mentioned to this, we alluded to it on a previous episode re- regarding the fact that we beat them nine nil, and how are they going to come out the traps? How are they going to respond? And and it, well, it it kind of happened on Saturday, as many people would have thought that Southampton would have played, and we just didn't react to it. But anyway, that's that's to come. There's plenty of transfer uh, gossip. Look forward to Burnley and West Ham uh, in the league. Uh, look where we are. Find out what people have been talking about on Twitter as regards to the defeat and elsewhere. Look at the uh, the fancy football, which we didn't look at uh, the week before. As I'm listening to the episode back uh, in my car and got to the bit where we went to do the fancy football and we just didn't do it. <laughs> So uh, we'll do that. So there's plenty to get through in the next, what, 50 minutes or so, hour or so. So we are through in the Cups, okay, against, well, through in the Cup uh, against Wigan in a, in, a, in, a, in a routine win, which doesn't really need to be uh, delved into. But the game against Villa, which then went on to the Southampton games, uh, again, we could go through them as kind of one or, or individual. I think probably in this case... Normally we like to take a step back, don't we, Robin, and look at it as kind of one one kind of entity. But I think in this occasion it's probably best to keep them kind of separate uh, because of the competition, the, what's going to happen afterwards, and, and mainly because of the, the, the Southampton game, which really is the big thing, the big talking point. So, so Villa, an incredibly strange game, a very weird game. I've, I've not seen a team dominate at home or at the King Power as much as, well, bar from, well, Liverpool actually on Boxing Day, but I've not seen Leicester dominate a game so much for, for for ages. But they just couldn't break down Villa, who, hats off to them, they defended very well. But Rob, and I know this is after they got thrashed against Man City, which every team in the Premier League uh, possibly will have coming their way at some point, but they, 
as in Villa were dreadful. I thought they were really poor and I've got no problem with predicting Leicester will win the second leg and I'm very confident about that because they were really poor. They were, yeah, and it was a strange game. It was um we went with the wing backs with uh, with Fuchs as part of a back three. Um and I think ultimately that was kind of not the problem because we were in complete control of the game so that from that respect there wasn't really a problem um but it was i think it was the fact that we had three center backs on the pitch and then two full backs now there is a reason why ricardo uh, although whatever you say about his ability there's a reason he predominantly plays right back rather than right wing and there's a reason chilwell plays left back rather than left wing so in essence, although we have got attacking fullbacks, you've got five defenders on the pitch. So we had control of possession, but not necessarily control as much control as we'd like of territory. And that was down, obviously, to Villa dropping really deep. Um, I thought Tyrone Mings had an excellent game as the central of, of three defenders because Conser and Hawes either side of him are, are donkeys, let's be perfectly honest. But... Mings, every time the ball was out of play, that the camera would cut to him and he'd be barking out the instructions and, and, and he kept everything tight for Villa. So so they, they did put up a bit of a wall, but I think part of the reason why we struggled to pick our way through it was the fact that we were playing five defenders. And I did think, not that we needed to chase the game as such, but I did think a tactical tweak could have occurred, which, which could have enabled us to have more creative players in the right areas of the pitch. For example, you know, um, Iheanacho could have come on sooner for a defender to enable Iheanacho to go up top with Vardy and Perez to be in an attacking position out wide. You know, just giving you more people that are more comfortable on the ball in the final third so that if and when an opportunity does arise, they're more likely to take it. I'm not blaming it all solely on that. You know, Villa Villa came and, and did a job and they'll be delighted with it. But if you take it for what it is, we are in a strong position going into the second leg of a cup semi-final. Forget who it's against. Forget the pattern of the game. We are still in with, I would say, a greater than 50-50 chance of making it into the final of a cup competition, which is a positive. It is a positive. Uh, Grealish, as a player, I think he's. A, I think he is a good player. Yes, he goes down an awful lot. But then again, if you're trying to regain possession, if you're trying to build play further forward, if you're trying to win free kicks to relieve the pressure that Leicester put in on, that's essentially was his job in the second half. Mings, he did play well, but. When you're trying to pump balls into an area where there's no big man alongside, we've seen Robert Huth over the years at Leicester perform admirably doing that. But I think the problem, and and you said at the start, I'm not too sure whether it was the the, the formation at the start. I think it was. I, I couldn't understand why you would play in a formation that's as pushing Chilwell and Ricardo further forward. Why why would change anything for a start? I understand because indeed he's not there that they they did kind of change things around, but. A light-for-light light swap with me, with, with with Hamza, would have been okay. Yes, it hasn't really worked against Southampton, but in this game against Villa, beforehand, 
the changes that were made, but but also we kind of saw the roots of what happened against Southampton with the likes of Chilwell, who was playing essentially as a winger in that game, and, and Chilwell just isn't an attacking winger. We know that Ben Chilwell is an England left-back. He's a competent defensive left-back. He, he is more than competent in that role. Okay, His best attributes when going forward is running at pace, running on an overlap, and then when you're at pace, you don't have to be amazingly tricky with the ball because you're running that pace you can beat a man you can run into space you can be brave and, and, and kind of go go full pelt into a space and then deliver a ball into an area we know crossing is it's kind of a weak point he kind of hits an area rather than pick out a man when it works it works fine look at Southampton and the uh, the goals we scored away at Southampton a lot of them was from Chilwell but again that's his best attacking trait attacking from very very deep Building up ahead of pace, and then their fullback looks up and goes, "Oh my God, Chilwell's at full pace, running towards me." That's when he's in trouble. When he's got time to think about the things, when he's got the ball to his feet, and then he has to kind of jink around a defender. That's not his role at all. Okay, and and more on that against uh, uh, Southampton in the next few minutes. But um, I, I just don't like that. Now on the other side, Ricardo, he we know he can do that, but again, I still think his best attribute is again running from deep on the overlap down the right, and then carrying on his run, and he can jink inside and get into the area. He can do things that Chilwell can't. But I, I just I just don't like them playing as wing backs. Essentially, I like them to be as as, as full backs, especially with Chilwell. Absolutely, especially with him. It just didn't work in the second half. Iniacho came on, scored a really good goal. Great link-up play. More on that in a minute. But it just... They, they were they were lacking in ideas. They were lacking in almost a little bit of composure at times. I think James Madison played too deep. He needs to be further forward alongside Vardy. In those occasions, when we've got complete possession of the ball and we're in no real danger of being caught on the break... He needs to really push up, or Tielemans, to be virtually alongside Vardy, or literally alongside Vardy. So when the ball's played to them and it gets to them, they're on the edge of the area. They don't have to do too much to get and advance towards the penalty area. What happened against Villa is that Leicester had three or four players 35, 40 yards from goal, and only Vardy then in the penalty area all round, surrounded by six or seven defenders. Well, that's just too much for one person to do and it's too much for the deep line midfielder then to play the ball forwards we need to get people nearer to Jamie Vardy we need to give him more help but also we we've seen in the last couple of games Jamie Vardy is an exceptional center forward but also he's got a brain he can lay the ball on a plate he knows exactly what to, I've always thought that the best crosser of a ball is a centre forward because they know. Look at Alan Shearer back in the day, brilliant crosser of a football because they know what the centre forward wants. And Jamie Vardy's assists on the last couple of games shows that when he has someone up there with him, in Iniesta's case, in this uh, game against Aston Villa against Southampton, uh, he laid the ball on a, a really well for Pratt's goal. But it just needs more help, and that's not just with scoring the goals, but it's also with building the play up and. That's what frustrated me, to, to have so much possession in their half as well. Not even passing it around our back line, in their half. But when we've got every single player in, in the opposition half and the nearest person to Vardy, 
in a blue shirt is still 20 yards away. That's That for me was frustrating. But I've got no problems. I agree with you. I think it's more than 50% chance of going through. Who knows what can happen in the, the second leg at Villa. But you've got to look at Villa and say that they've got nothing really that could threaten us in their forward line. Their, their build-up play was sloppy. Um, they are there for the taking. They're going to have. They're going to be worried about Leicester on the break. What happened in the Premier League and roll on Villa Park. I've got my ticket for the away game. Really looking forward to that one. There's no uh, such thing as away goals, so it's just going to be a level tie going into that game. And fingers crossed we can get through. But we then went into the Southampton game, Rob, and it all went wrong fairly quickly, didn't it? It did. It did, and. It feels quite strange, actually, to be sitting here recording a podcast that is not predominantly positive. You know, we've picked apart a draw in a semi-final there against Villa, and and whilst there were some positives, there were things that that we have identified that we thought we could have been changed to to have a greater impact on the game, or or could be changed in the future. Um, and now we're sitting here. We didn't really inspire anybody with our win against Wigan. We huffed and puffed, but didn't really do an awful lot of damage in the semi-final against Villa. Um, and we have subsequently lost to Southampton. Um, it's difficult because on this podcast, we, do, we, we don't very often let emotion take over. And that's part of the reason why we kind of let things simmer down usually um, for a couple of days afterwards. Um, and I think if you look at it in context, Southampton are pretty much top of the form table in the Premier League over the past five or six games alongside Watford. So if you take it on that merit and you take it on the fact that we are not carrying an awful lot of momentum at the moment after um, what was quite a tricky festive period, and they are carrying a lot of momentum, and they are much better. They were never a team that was bad enough to be beaten 9-0 by anybody, let alone us. Um, they are a much better team than that, and and they're showing that. And and we, they came into it in a much better mindset than us. And I think ultimately that showed in in their coverage of the pitch, in their speed to get to first and second balls, in their confidence to move the ball. I just thought they were sharper mentally and physically than us in pretty much every area and you know you can analyze whatever else you like in terms of team selection or revenge from the 9-0 but I think ultimately it boils down to the fact that they were half a yard to a yard quicker in the majority of scenarios and and you can't be even a little bit off the pace against anybody in the Premier League and we were. We were a 2-1 defeat at home to Southampton. Looks poor on paper, but you have to take into account, as you said, the fact that Southampton have been playing very well. They've got a, a red-hot striker in Danny Ings. What a player. What a rich vein of form he's on. Not just the goals he's scoring, but also the, the chances he's converting. He's got a, a 50% conversion rate this season. Now, how many times he's hit the bar as well? A few times against Leicester. One of them, a snapshot that rattled onto the crossbar, which was just completely out of the blue. This guy is on absolute fire. And uh, he, he took his goal very well. And um, it was 
Chowdhury into the side. And straight away, Chowdhury was being pulled left, right and centre. But but also, he, he's because he's different to Ndidi, there was a, um, someone likened Ndidi uh, to a player who sticks to a box. A box, if you would draw a box from the edge of one penalty area to the edge of the other, uh, in, say, 15 yards from each touchline, he, he, he sticks into that box and he doesn't go out of it. If the ball goes out, he will then remain in place. When Chowdhury then hunts down the ball, and can get kind of pulled apart. And uh, it it wasn't really the game that Chowdhury probably wanted um, against the side who were just right up for it. And it was interesting that all throughout the week, the manager kept on saying that it's not about revenge and we're just going to put that out the window. It's another game and we'll see what happens rubbish they were g'd up to the max and you saw at the end of the game when they were doing the kind of old lays with with their with their fans that what it meant to the players to to apologize really to their fans to say look we know what happened a few months ago but we've we've kind of righted the wrong here and uh, and and just for me like fair play to them really fair play to come to Leicester I know they've been playing well but to come to Leicester second in the league and to put in the performance, it could have been a lot more. Now, we know Leicester had three goals disallowed, which we'll come on to in a, in a minute. But just for the meantime, I think we really do have to say, first of all, what what a, a fantastic performance by Southampton. But with Leicester, um, one of the first players that most people will mention is Chilwell. Okay? And he had a shocker, an absolute shocker. To give the ball away t- uh, 20 times in the first half alone, very poor. And... I, if you look at the whole performance, everyone really was off their game. And in every side in football, especially at the highest level, if one player's off their game, they can be carried. If a couple of players are, it will affect then other players in certain positions. Most clubs will operate threes or pairs on certain wings or in midfield, etc., who play together or three forwards, let's say Liverpool. And you can carry one but not two. But the thing is with Leicester, it just spread throughout the side. It was like the illness for the England cricket team down in South Africa. It just spread throughout the entire side. And everyone forgot almost how to play football, how to control and just pass the ball and not panic and just keep the ball for five minutes and do the simple things right. Run the channels, even even just play not slightly more direct, but a, a more steady kind of football. No risk. Keep the ball, lay the ball off. And it just didn't happen. And it spread throughout players who you just would not expect. And I felt sorry for a few of them because the crowd were getting on their back. And the first thing I would say is, I am the first person to say, I don't like people booing, okay? Booing their own side, unless it's a complete disaster and you're relegated and all that sort of thing. Yeah, fine. But I don't quite like booing at the end of halves or at the end of full time. For me, it's just not my thing. People who do it, fine. But it's just not my thing. But people were getting on players back who are second in the league. But it was so bad, I can I can kind of understand it in a, in a weird kind of going against what I've just said. Because it was so bad. Now, hopefully it's one of them things where we've got so far with this young team. And it's all kind of built up into a crescendo. After Christmas, everyone's played all these games. Yes, certain players have been rested. But almost like they took it for granted. They went through the motions and they came up against the side with the bit between their teeth. And they were just caught off guard. And hopefully that's the case. Hopefully it's just, it was too bad to be true. Everyone just needs a week off just to get their heads right. And then they go again. It. Some people said it's been coming. That's one of the three word reviews later on. 
um, when I dig them out of Twitter in a minute. But for me, Rob, I just hope it's one of them just put a line through it because it, it, it had to have been too bad to be true. I think that's exactly right. I think we've got eight days now from that game on Saturday to the upcoming game on um, on Sunday. Uh, and you would imagine a lot of time will be spent in the sort of tactical an- an analysis room and, and a lot of time will be spent on the training ground. But I would imagine there will be a day or two off in there for the players to rest up mentally and physically because regardless of, of what you say about squad rotation and about the Christmas period, it was a lot of games. Um, there were some games that were particularly draining, you know, against l- the likes of Liverpool and Manchester City and and the sort of added pressure that a cup semi-final brings with you and the added pressure of avoiding the potential banana skin in the third round of the FA Cup. You know, before that really... We were playing in earlier rounds of the League Cup and we were playing less able opposition in the Premier League. So it was it was almost easier for the players to relax into their style and enjoy the football. And then, of course, win after win snowballed to, to get us to the point where we were quite um, on, on that run of um, on that run of form. But, you know, now that's been disrupted with those defeats against Liverpool and Manchester City with the chopping and the changing, which was necessary and paid off in terms of the, the victory over West Ham and the victory over Wigan. But I think you're starting to see the fallout of it now. But I think having those eight days is a real benefit because it almost means that if you call the Southampton game on Saturday, the end of the festive period, really, if you say, right, that is the end of... A, a hard run of fixtures mentally and physically. Now we'll take stock. We'll we'll pick it apart a little bit, but we'll have a few days off as well, and then we'll go up to Burnley on Sunday, refreshed and replenished, uh, and and sort of refocused, if you like, on applying the approach to football matches, which has been incredibly successful so far this season. Um, so I think there will be a reaction against Burnley on Sunday and I think this defeat to Southampton will fall out of our memories quite quickly or at least I hope so yeah I hope so as well it'll be a test for for Rogers really the first say blip but uh, because everything's been so smooth this season it's the first blip this season but in his managerial career at Leicester just go through those three word reviews Um, one that did make me laugh was Ian Lapworth with uh, Leicester are back um, also, we've got uh, Jim Chapman with second best team. Uh, David Loosby, Chile had a shocker. Um, and Wilf get back. Simon Marlowe, for Fox's sake. Uh, new players required, Martin Summers. And it's been coming. Uh, another one as well by um, uh, Lucky Bula with that one. So, uh, an interesting uh, bunch there. We'll come on to the players shortly. But my question to you, Rob, is what... And I'm going to answer this before before you come back in, but what would you do differently? Or would you do anything differently if you were in charge? Now, I've already said I would get support with Vardy. I would play Iniacho with Vardy. For me, I thought Perez had a very poor game. And I think now Iniacho, we know that he can replace Vardy in the cup games. We know he's got a a good goal-scoring record this season. His goal against Villa was, I thought, exceptional. But the way he's conducted himself on the field, he's looked sharp, he's looked busy, he's looked able to be playing just slightly off Vardy as well. And 
I I would like someone up there alongside Jamie Vardy. That for me would be the change. Now, how would that work in behind? I wouldn't go in, um, drastic in the in a change of system. Now you could play the diamond, which I know didn't work out when we were at home against Norwich, but worked perfectly away against Villa. So against Burnley, it could work against Burnley having the two up front, having the diamond in midfield, because then you would bring in someone like Tillemans alongside, say, Pratt with. Chowdhury at the base and Madison at the top, a lot, something along that lines. That's probably what I would go with. But for me, if they were going to go with a slight change, it would be bring Iniacho into the side. The rest, not got a problem. People saying bring Fuchs in for Chilwell. Well, if they're going to play with four at the back, I would still have Chilwell from the left-hand side. Now, that's on the basis that if he has a decent game, great. But if he starts to slip in and it becomes a real problem... Uh, this lack of confidence from him, then, yeah, bring Fuchs back in, not a problem. But I'd still play Chilwell, and I don't think there's going to be a problem there. The rest of the team still picks itself, uh, but that would be my only change. I completely agree. I think we need to find a way to start Ian Acho because he he merits that the way that as you say the way that he's approached things, his his statistics over, over the games that he's played so far in terms of goals and assists. Um, everything points towards him deserving a start by by his own right. Um, I think the problem player in in this scenario is Madison in terms of in terms of almost having to shuffle things around to accommodate him. Because if you do consider the fact that you can't really play Madison as one of two central midfielders, I, I think we both agree with that. So then you've either got to have him operating from the left, you've got to have him operating at the tip of a diamond, like you said, um, or you've got to you've got to have him operating in the in the three five two as the most advanced of three central midfielders, uh, and we've just basically torn the three five two to absolute shreds. So it, it, it is a it is a bit of a a difficulty there, but it's it's a positive one because it's. Ultimately, it's it's half it's more than half forced by the fact that Kalechi Nacho is playing well, and you want these selection dilemmas where you've got players that you really want to put in your team, and it gives you the headache to try and work out how you're going to fit them in. Um, I'd, yeah, I'd, I'm torn be- between um, what to do with Chilwell because. We spoke about him at the very beginning of the season, and if you remember, at, at the first three, four games, he didn't start particularly well. Um, and then he, along with the rest of the team, really picked up and went on that excellent run back end of last year, and there was no problems. And you know, and, and we were talking him as a dead cert for England's number one left back. Oh, look how much he's improved! His final product was getting much better, uh, and now he's hit a, a, a little bit of a rough patch again. It's going to happen, you know. Defenders typically mature latest on a football pitch of the outfield players, and a defender is what he is—a young defender at that. So Brendan Rodgers will know him well enough to identify what the best way of regaining his form is. Now, Tielemans was a similar conversation that we had on the previous podcast. Quite a similar scenario, really, although his form hasn't. Uh, hasn't dropped as drastically, you've got to say, as Chilwell's. But Tielemans was uh, omitted from the starting lineup against Southampton. Um, and Brendan Rodgers has obviously looked at that and thought he will benefit from a, a rest 
uh, in terms of not having the mental responsibility of running the midfield, but not having the physical responsibility of playing another 90 minutes. So Brendan Rodgers will now look at that and think, will Chilwell benefit from a rest? Or is he the kind of player whose confidence would be further knocked if Rodgers said, I'm going to take you out and give you a rest? And, and we can't comment on that because we don't know Ben Chilwell and we don't know him as a person or a player. Um, but that is ultimately why the managerial job is so key and so stressful because he's got to manage not only look at the the best for the team but he's got to manage each individual in terms of what makes them tick and you know if he's if he's missed out of the starting lineup against Burnley uh, on Sunday for Fuchs no problem whatsoever I think Fuchs has done really really well this season um, and that means that, that Chilwell would benefit from the rest. If he starts, then that means that Rodgers is going to try and get him to play his way back into form, and, and this is the point where we trust Brendan Rodgers. It's much easier to trust a manager when things are going really well, um, and he's already admitted to a mistake, something that we didn't mention when we were dissecting the Villa game, in not starting Chowdhury. So he is still learning about this team and he will make mistakes, but he is a top, top manager and he'll know exactly what to do to get the best out of Ben Chilwell to find greater support higher up for Jamie Vardy. Because I completely agree with your point there, Pete, and I completely agree with the fact that Ian Acho deserves a start. Um, And I think it'll be quite interesting, actually, to see what happens on Sunday in terms of a reaction to this result, but also in terms of those individuals that we've just mentioned. Yeah, because if they're going to play a diamond midfield, then you would naturally have more attacking fullbacks to produce the width in the side. That will be lacking from a, a diamond formation. But on the other hand, if you're playing Burnley, who have giant forwards and a, and a very large team and would go kind of direct, you might play Fuchs to try and help out at the back because we're not the tallest side in the world and we'll be lacking in Didi as well. So... There's a few bits and bobs there because of the opposition as well. And then we'll play West Ham uh, at home, I believe. And uh, they will actually have a number of games coming up in quick succession. Um, I think they play the weekend and then they play midweek against Liverpool. So um, it would be a great chance, really, looking at the fixtures to get back on. Because Burnley haven't been playing well at all. West Ham, we know the problems they've had, the change of manager. We're still 11 points ahead of Manchester United in fifth, which is always going to be the gap that we look to because we want to finish in the top four. Champions League, that's the priority. Ignore Liverpool, they're way ahead. Um, And Manchester United, they go to uh, Liverpool, they go to Anfield at the weekend. So I know we're not kind of in a head-to-head situation, but you look at the table and you look at the likes of Wolves and Sheffield United up there, Spurs and Arsenal, who I thought would be the main challengers, really. Uh, They're just dropping points left, right and centre. So at the moment, they're not really in the conversation for a challenge of the top four. It's Manchester United. And for me, I'm looking at their results. I'm looking at that gap every single time. So we go to Burnley, they go to Old Trafford. Really good chance of then picking up more points, extending the gap. So it's not the end of the earth, but uh, it's something that we need to sort out. And I'd imagine they've been given, what, Sunday, probably Monday off as well because of the game on Sunday. A bit of time off and then they can refocus and we'll see what happens at Burnley. Now, Regarding players and regarding signings, uh, nothing's really happened in terms of incomings at Leicester. Now, I'll ask you one question, Rob, and you've got to be completely honest, and I know you will be. 
Have you heard of Raul Ulche? Yes. He was... Um, no, genuinely. Uh, Spanish part of the development squad a couple of years back. Yes, that's 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 the guy. Well, he's not here anymore. He's gone to Real Valladolid uh, ever in Spain for an undisclosed fee, which could be... Oh, that's um, actually a transfer, is it? I've not heard of the transfer. Oh, it's a transfer. I've, he's gone. I've heard, I've heard of him, but I didn't realise he'd moved. He's got. He's gone. It flashed up on Sky Sports News today. Leicester sells striker Raúl Ulche, and I literally went, oh, "Who the hell's this guy?" Uh, to Real Valladolid for an undisclosed fee, which a obviously, tenor. Well, no, I think it's five hundred million pounds. It's got to be. But anyway, he's gone. So he's gone out uh, on a permo deal. So permanent deal. George Thomas has gone on loan to ADO Den Haag. Uh, managed by Alan Pardew. And uh, so that's uh, an interesting move for George, who's been playing very well for the under-23s, and I imagine one or two maybe others from the under-23s would probably get loan moves as well. Uh, so he's gone over. They, I think they're basically Alan Pardew's going round the under-23s and the uh, players in the championship who aren't really performing and uh, trying to sign as many players as he can. So that's uh, one other bit of information. And the other one is Mary uh, Demaril, the centre-half at Juventus, who has been heavily linked with Leicester. He's a international teammate of Kaglar Soyuncu, who have a great partnership for Turkey. But he's been playing in the first team at Juventus. And it was, it was interesting because what Rodgers has not said, it's all very well a, a manager saying, look, we're not really going to comment on any speculation. But the silence was deafening from Rodgers and from the club regarding this player. And, it, and there was too many people linking um, Leicester with him. Rob Tanner from The Athletic uh, was heavily linking him, saying that Leicester are interested. Other uh, sources were saying exactly the same thing. Look, this is the guy's on the radar, but he's being, he's playing for the first team at Juventus. It's going to cost a lot of money, but then again, he's going to he's going to cost a lot of money. He's not a problem for Leicester. Leicester can pay the big bucks, and, uh, but he's done his knee. He's out for the season. So and he's probably out for Euro twenty twenty as well. So a big blow for Soyuncu and Turkey, but a, a blow for the for him as well. So he's not going to arrive at Leicester if he was going to be the the choice and and a, and a big money signing. So put a line through him on whatever list you're keeping of people that Leicester are interested in. But um, do you think Rob that this uh, defeat to Southampton not we're going over the top for it, but uh, do you think that this defeat to Southampton would accelerate any business? Would it accelerate business in areas that maybe Leicester weren't originally looking to sign players? And in your opinion, do you think that they should be now looking at certain areas of the field to improve on and this defeat has shown up the weaknesses in the Leicester side slash squad? Um, it would have highlighted some... Um weakness I don't know for weaknesses but areas for development shall we say let's spin that into a bit more of a positive um and and you do it's always said that you learn a lot more about your team from a defeat than you do from a, a victory um but I, I don't think it will change anything in terms of the way that Brennan Rodgers and, and Leicester City approach the January transfer window because January is always a tricky one anyway Prices typically get a bit inflated. It's always a little bit difficult bringing in and shipping out players midway through a season. Um, but the, the, it will have been meticulously planned months in advance. 
really, as Brendan Rodgers continually assesses his his squad. And we we have said on this podcast, not just on the on the back of defeats, but even in in the midst of the really good run that we had uh, a month or two ago, that the squad still really could do with two to three more key first team members not not in terms of uh, we, you can't look at our 11 and say that's the best it can possibly be there are players out there that would be available to us financially finances aren't really a problem um who could better our team and surely it would be better to have a squad of higher quality players than than we have now you know you're talking about sometimes looking down the bench and seeing the likes of Damari Gray, um, Mark Albrighton, who I, I still think obviously does a job and he's a great player to have in the squad. But let's say we're 70, 75th minute and you're looking at your bench and you're thinking you've got no idea which Damari Gray is going to come on. And Mark Albrighton is good for certain things, you know, but if you just really want a dazzling winger to come up, to come on and, and, and carry the ball for 20, 30 yards and, and just cause some problems. We haven't really got that, you know. So then it would be better to have extra players in the squad to do that. But I don't think that will come out of the defeat to Southampton. I think that's something that will already have been analysed in considerable detail. Um, another name that's been linked, that we've been linked with is Rogani from Juventus, who's been frozen out a little bit there. Um, quite experienced for for a 25-year-old that has played uh, a few times for Italy as well. So, you know, that's that's these are good names to be talked, to be in the conversations about, really, because now is the time where if we really want to establish ourselves as a, as a top-four team, a team that is regularly going to be securing Champions League football, you want players of him, his calibre, uh, Demerel's calibre, you know, to, to take us on to that next level and I think that's what our transfers have to do now yeah I, I agree I think we will actually I think it has it will accelerate some business I think that Leicester maybe have targets for the summer and I'm, I'm sure they do and I'm sure that Rogers will have players that he wants to sign in this window but I think it will just highlight the fact that the owners must look at the side and go look at the position we're in 11 points ahead of Manchester United as I said earlier we can't let this slip. We don't want this to turn into a, a, a bad run at all. But also those positions, which we've said before, and you've said as well with Albright and with, with Gray, you'll also throw, and I know it was a big money signing, but the way that Perez is playing, you wouldn't have him really in the first team. Barnes uh, has been given a bit of bit of time off, a, a rest here and there. I was very surprised he didn't come on in the second half against Villa. Um, I don't know why that Chilwell didn't move back to fullback and Barnes come on on the left side. I, I just don't understand why that wasn't uh, wasn't accelerated and, and didn't happen at all. It was crazy for me why you wouldn't have him on because they were there for the taking. I think that if the right players there and a little bit of experience, like you said, I know 25 is not exactly ancient, but maybe someone who's been around a bit would help out. But also, I would like it to be first team players, which is, I know it's a big ask and a big wish, but I don't like bulking out a squad with players who probably aren't going to 
being your first eleven. I'd like first team signings, but then again, that's the again, it's a big ask. Who are you going to sign? We've got scouts everywhere. They know more than me. Uh, one player, actually, who's um, been linked away uh, in the last few minutes. I've seen uh, Islam Slamani's name linked with Aston Villa. Um, it'd be a good signing for them. But uh, who knows whether Slim Dog Millionaire can still do a job at Leicester. You never know. You never know. But uh, maybe not. But uh, we we shall see. The centre-half position, I think, is still going to get filled. I think they will sign one or two players there. It's a shame about uh, Demer, whether we would have got him anyway, but uh, I still think they'll sign one or two there. And we shall see. Again, you know, transfer speculation, left, right and centre. Nothing's really happening at the moment, but I think it will it will accelerate towards the uh, the end of the month. But, um, and of course, at the end of the month, we've got those games in both cup competitions, Villa away, which we mentioned, and in the FA Cup, away to Brentford now my uh my, my boss at work actually he's a, a big Brentford fan a Brentford season ticket holder so when that tie came out uh you know, a few messages were exchanged but he uh I asked him about Brentford I know that they're what third in the league now playing really well and and they're a good side it's gonna be a very difficult place to go to and my my only question really to him not like are Brentford any good because we know and they're on tv the other day and they, they thrashed a, a QPR in the first what half an hour they're a very dangerous side but but my question to him was like who do you think's going to play do you think they're going to play their first team because if they're third in the league pressurizing the top two and who knows in the championship they could be in the top two by then if they're in that position are they going to play their first team are they going to risk their first team because promotion would be obviously their main port of call they're moving into a new ground next year so it's the last chance we've got to go to their current ground and the, the quirkiness of it with all the pubs in the corners and the terracing. It's uh, it's an interesting question. And his answer was, I don't don't really know because at the moment we don't have the, the, the biggest squad in the world. We've got a really good first team, but if they're surely in the top two, then, then they would play a changed side. And then his question to me was, what do you think Leicester will do? And we'll, we'll do a podcast before the game. So we'll look at it into more detail. But I said it, it will be a very similar side to who played against Wigan because we're playing against... Villa later on that week, so that's a, that'll be the game on early kickoff on a Saturday on BBC One against Brentford, and then we play in the week against Aston Villa in the second leg. So we're not going to jeopardise that. And I think if many Leicester fans were offered the question, and I'll ask you this question then, Rob, if it meant a defeat to Brentford but a win against Villa and then the final of the League Cup. Would you take that now if that was offered to you? So you're losing in the FA Cup against Brentford, but you're guaranteed a win at Villa. I think I'd have to at this stage of the FA Cup, yeah, because it's the fourth round against Brentford. Um, it, it, it It's not as significant. If, if you traded me for a couple of rounds further into the FA Cup, then it would be a different conversation because we, like pretty much every Leicester fan that is alive and has ever lived, would dearly love for us to get our hands on the FA Cup. But I think nothing is guaranteed just for winning a round four game against Brentford. So at this stage, I would take the League Cup final, um, a, a position in the League Cup final, uh, and a trip to Wembley and a chance for uh, some silverware over beating Brentford. Yeah, but ideally we'll do both. Ideally we will do both. On the back of a few wins in the Premier League as well, it'd be nice, wouldn't it? But uh, but there we go. Um, now before we do the uh, the fancy football, uh, oh, Big Nigel's having a good uh, time of things down at Watford. They're flying, aren't they? Just a bit, yeah. When I was looking up to, to 
back up my point about Southampton being in form, the, the form table that I looked at actually had Watford at the top and Southampton second. He has just basically come in and got them working hard. And no offence whatsoever to Watford, but they don't have the quality to not work at 100% and have every player working at 100% and actually pick up results in the Premier League. So he's just got them in, got them honest, which I think you'd you'd have to be if you were a player under Nigel Pearson. And it's paid off with him. He's, he's clearly gone in, him and Craig Shakespeare have clearly gone in and galvanised things. And, and I think they'll be absolutely fine under his stewardship. It'll be interesting with a club like Watford who change managers more often than I change my pants, uh, are they, they're not really got a reputation of keeping hold of a manager. And he's only got a contract to the end of the season, I believe, or a short-term one, certainly. So it'd be interesting to see whether they think he is the man to lead them going forward or whether they just want him in, save us, uh, and clear off and we'll get somebody else. But yeah, quality job, as you would expect. Although the appointment came a little bit out of the blue, um it, as Leicester fans, we are fully aware of the job that he can do at, at a football club. And he, in my opinion, would be the right person to take them forward because we have seen firsthand the evidence of him essentially restructuring an entire playing staff and turning it into the the bones of essentially a team that won the Premier League. So he, he's a very, very good manager. In the background, I've got Sky Sports on, and it's uh, Les Ferdinand's 150 odd goals in the Premier League, and he's just started his Leicester career, and all of them are headers so far. Um, oh no, a free kick at Portsmouth. That went through the wall, didn't it? Yeah, or oh, another header at Bolton. So, uh, oh my God, Darren Bent, well, not, not Darren Bent, Marcus Bent. We've got Scowcroft playing. Who's that? That's Dickov playing alongside him. Big Jerry, Jerry Taggart giving him a hug. Oh, what a header at. Newcastle. Anyway, so that's uh, that's in the background. Yeah, I agree with Pearson. He's doing a fantastic job. And there's one player I'd love Leicester to sign and I think would be a great help because in midfield we have, um, as we know, Ndidi Chowdhury. But I think someone who can get a, a box-to-box version of Ndidi, a bit more of a playmaker, not alongside Ndidi, slightly further forward, to give a, a almost a, a bit more of a of a defensive help to Ndidi, but also someone who can get forward and do a bit more of a dirty work uh, to leave Tillemans to be more of a playmaker. That's a, and I think, well, Decore is a, a, a tremendous player. We know he had a fantastic season last season and he's been off his game so far, but he's really come back to form under Pearson and he, he's just the sort of player who would be great in Leicester's midfield. Imagine Ndidi anchoring the midfield with, with Decore in there, with, with then Tillemans and say Madison, if you're going to play like a, a three or a four, maybe in a pyramid or a, a, a diamond, that would be an exceptional signing. It costs a lot of money, but he would be ideal in a, in a Leicester midfield, I think. Give a, a bit more physicality, not leaving it all for Ndidi and, and a bit of height as well. But uh, we'll see what happens uh, with Watford. All the best to them. You know, they're doing really well. And, and Nige, everyone wants uh, Watford to do well. For Big Nigel, it will be interesting at the end of the season if he does keep them up, whether he does stay or not. But anyway, that's all to come for them. And now we're going to go on to the Dream Team League, the For Fox 8 podcast, Fancy Football Dream Team League. The top 10 of the For Fox 8 podcast, Fancy Football League in 10th place. 
on 1,290. That's what we're starting on. In 10th, it's Leicester City with Luke Taylor. In 9th, it's Matthew Archer, Pedro City on 291, or 1,291. Uh, in 8th, down to 8th, Ben Melbourne with uh, Vini Vidi Vardi, 1,303. Up into 7th, it's Barcelona, Ben Payne. 1,303 as well. In sixth place, a non-mover for Daniel Charters and Planet Prevention with 1,304, so very tight. Top five, down into fifth. It's Loudmouth FC, Mark Perkins, Perko, 1,308. So again, very tight. In fourth place, up into fourth, it's Chatshit Get Banged by Mike Oxlong, 1,315. Top three. And they remain in their places in third, Gav Brown, Saigon Foxes, 1,344. In second, long-time leader, Alex Economo in second, video killed the Saudio, 1,360. And by 12 points in the lead, it's Daniel McCready with Rogers the Cabin Boy, 1,372 points. So that's the top 10. Now, if we go down, Rob, you mentioned earlier you've had a dramatic fall from grace. Uh, you got 52 points last week. You're in 23rd place on 1,244 points. And if we go further down to 33rd place, that's me with Super Frank Sinclair with 1,206. I got 60 points this week, so I had a good week. But I did drop an absolute clang. And I know... People listening to a fancy, it's, it's a bit like people telling you their dreams. Uh, it's boring, but things that I should have done or things I should have kept in my fancy football, probably second in the list of boring things, but I'm going to say it anyway. Tough. I had Aguero and Mares in my side before I changed, and I was very close to triple captaining Aguero. Uh, he was going to be a captain anyway, and then I made this change because of the goalkeeper. Um, I, I included Fabianski in the end. I'd a, I didn't have a first-team goalkeeper playing, so once I changed that, I had to get money elsewhere, and it, it, the whole side ended up changing. But with ten minutes before kickoff, uh, before the deadline, I had Mares and Vardy and um, Aguero. I'm looking at an extra forty or fifty points, Rob. I'd have been on the verge of the top ten nearly, but anyway, it didn't happen. So there we go. It doesn't really matter. You'd have overtaken me as well. If you'd, if you'd have done that, I'm in absolute freefall. I've got no idea what's going on because it's not like I've forgotten to do my team. It's not like I've changed um, what I was doing, my approach, really. It's not like I've got lazy with it. I've, I've committed exactly the same amount of thought process to it, which is very minimal, I'll be honest. Um, so essentially, I was very lucky in the first half of the season. I think that's what this is proving. Um, and I think I will be very fortunate to ever get my name read out on the top 10 list again because I thought I'd done all right this week I thought 52 was okay and then um, it turns out that the average nationally for the week was 57 so I wasn't even at average getting in the 50s so it's um, it's a weird game isn't it fantasy football but I think normal service for me is being resumed I was I've played it for years and always been terrible and I, I just couldn't believe my luck when I broke into the top 10 in this league and we actually get to talk about it. Uh, now I'm back where I belong, firmly in mid-table, looking over my shoulder for the Super Frank Sinclair train on its way. I just want to stay ahead of you, that's literally it. Yeah, 38 points, but uh, 
Yeah, I've I've played my wild card as well. I've taken I've pressed that panic button already. So that was that was this week basically the the wild card week. So uh, we will see what happens. But uh, I've got one or two thing tricks up my sleeve anyway. We'll see what happens. No one really got an amazing amount of points. Looking just scrolling down in thirteenth place, uh, Foxes Indeedy Nick Dewing seventy four points. In fact, below him, um, PK Blinders, nice name, uh, James Barker eighty two points. He got did he. Captain Aguero, no, Captain Vardy, but he got Aguero and De Bruyne in there as well. Further down, there's a few in the 70s, Ian Smith in the 70s, Cliff Frost as well. No one higher than the 80. Further down, 68, James Preston done well. And for 90 points were Concept, Concept, Concept FC, who were terrible, but all of a sudden they've got loads of points. Captain Aguero, 40 points, my word, that's what you want. All the way down towards my dad, who's right down at the bottom, nearly actually 75th out of 77. Uh, there we go. But anyway, that's the fancy football, so that's the end of um, end of that. So now, Rob, we look forward to the game Burnley this coming weekend on TV on Sunday. West Ham then afterwards, uh, who played twice beforehand. So Burnley's going to be difficult. It's going to be, I think it's going to be quite tight. But I, I can see Leicester winning, and I think it's going to. I'm going to go for one nil Leicester, one nil Leicester, and Iniacho to score after starting alongside Vardy. Positive, I like it. Yeah, I think it's going to be tight. Burnley aren't great, let's be honest, this season, and they are they are struggling. So it's not like going to Burnley last season where you would go there and you'd you'd fear going there a little bit. I don't think we've got anything to fear really. Um, I think the players will want to react. Um, I could always see them getting a set piece or a headed, headed goal so I'm going to have to go for 2-1 Leicester. There we go 2-1 and 1-0 so that's our predictions and fingers crossed they are absolutely accurate and I imagine we'll do a podcast next week Rob before West Ham when we can look deep into what happens at Burnley on Sunday and then look forward to West Ham and any other news that comes our way regarding signings. You never know, there might be a new signing by then or further players, I'd imagine, would go out on loan. Interesting to find out what happens with the likes of Matty James and uh, King, who's back at the club now, and those youngsters as well in the under-23s who's doing so well. So anyway, that's it for the podcast this week. If you want to get in contact with us, you can email us at forfoxsakepodcast at gmail.com. If you want to get in contact with us via Twitter, then head to at FFSpod. That's our Twitter feed, FFSpod. That's a really good way of getting in contact. I do like to use Twitter quite a lot. So if you get to uh, us on there or, or reply to one of our posts, either myself or Rob will be that person who replies. And on Facebook, again, make sure you look out on Facebook and you will find us on there. Just type in for Fox 8 Podcast on Facebook. Give us a like and a follow. And also, when we do put up this podcast what, late in the evening on Tuesday, if you're listening, oh no, Monday, what day is it, it's Monday, um, then do give it a retweet or a share if you're on Facebook or Twitter, uh, that would uh, help us out tremendously, there we go, that's it Rob, I can't think of anything else to do with Leicester, uh, what about you? No, nothing at all, looking forward to his bouncing back against Burnley. Yes, fingers crossed, Chilwell has a great game and we win, that's all that matters, because I want to go on a European tour, along with the big boys in the Champions League.